afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Um, my name's Mike. If you don't know me, nice to meet you. Um, for several uh, months now, actually, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians as a church in a series we've called Crafted. And we've been looking at how God lovingly and carefully crafted us as individuals and as a community into his masterpiece. And uh, we're going to be continuing that series this morning. And I'm um, going to be looking at the fact that we're crafted multicolored. Uh, and so this morning is all about unity and diversity. Okay, now all of us would have had moments in life when we've experienced diversity coming together as one and been moved by the experience somehow. Take light, for example. Light is beautiful in itself, and by it we see the beauty of the world around us. But there are certain moments where the beauty of light becomes vividly apparent to us when you can see its component parts, like in a, in a rainbow, for example. Sure, all of us would have had a moment when, on a kind of sunny, wet day, um, we've just stopped and stared up at the sky at a rainbow, and it's beautiful. Many colours, but one. Beauty in diversity, unity in diversity. Has anybody seen the film The Wizard of Oz? Yeah, yeah great. Okay, we've got some Wizard of Oz fans here. <laughs> Anyone old enough to have remembered when it was first released? Yes. Gus Rosier, thank you. <laughs> big moment in Gus's life, actually. Um, the Wizard of Oz is an impressive film because it starts off all black and white. And actually, it's quite dreary and everything looks the same. And Dorothy, who's the star of the film, dreams of a brighter world somewhere over the rainbow. And then there's this moment in the film when she opens the door and everything becomes multicolored. You'll see it on the screen. And it's a big moment in cinematography where a black and white film suddenly become, became a multicolored film. And all these colors were together on the same screen, and it was impressive. Unity and diversity. And we, the audience, felt like with Dorothy, we weren't in Kansas anymore. In music, we experience the beauty of unity and diversity when you hear a harmony. Now, really, the best way to demonstrate this is to play you a bit of music. And so what you're going to hear in just a moment's time is the first minute of a song from a band called Sleeping At Last. I'd love to play you the whole thing. Um, it's a song called Saturn. And, and what you'll find is that at the beginning of the song, there's a, a melody, just a delicate melody by a cello. And then more and more stringed instruments come in to synthesize this sound. And you can barely hear them coming in. It's so subtle, but actually the effect is beautiful. So why don't you just maybe close your eyes or just listen to the effect of the sounds coming together. isn't it? All these 
different sounds. And actually, as the layers come in, it's not just a harmony. It's that when they're all playing together, you can actually start to make sense of the melody. Almost the melody only becomes distinguished by every instrument playing in together. It's beautiful. Unity and diversity. So often in the world today, difference is viewed with suspicion. If someone looks or dresses or speaks differently to us, it can cause fear and unease. Prejudice, sexism, ageism, racism, still commonplace, and though sometimes they take very subtle forms. But in these different experiences of everyday life, the rainbow, a, a multicolored image, a beautiful harmony, in these everyday experiences, a profound truth is to be perceived by us that there's great beauty in diversity. And diversity brought together in unity is powerful. God loves diversity. He loves difference. And his work is always to bring them together to produce a beautiful, powerful unity. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the ultimate work of this nature. It's the ultimate harmony. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you open up Ephesians. And we're going to read from chapter 3, verse 1 to 14. But I've got my Bible, so I'll read it to you anyway. Um, says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now what happens here is he said the word Gentiles and he goes off on a bit of a tangent because he thinks Gentiles, wow, there's so much I've got to say. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Okay, I want to make three points this morning. First is to identify a problem, um, hostility in diversity. Secondly, to identify the cure set out here, the gospel of unity in diversity. And thirdly, to look at the result, the church expressing unity in diversity. The problem, the cure, the result. Let's go. Firstly, the problem. The problem, actually the assumption of this text, is that without a work of God, difference between peoples most commonly brings separation and disunity. Okay, the theology of this is complex, but here it is in brief. God is the perfect example of absolute diversity and unity. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. As an imperfect analogy, think of the sun in the sky. It has mass, 
from which comes radiance that brings light and warmth that brings growth. Mass, radiance, warmth, all from the same sun, completely united. One sun, but different parts of it. God is three in one. And we, mankind, were created in the image of God. And part of that is to enjoy and appreciate unity and diversity. An expression of this would be marriage. Male and female, different, come together as one. Unity and diversity. But sin has distorted the image of God that we bear. The heart of sin is that we've turned away from the life-giving beauty of God and curved in on ourselves, setting ourselves up to be God. Genesis 11 recounts a vivid portrayal of the effect of this, the events of the Tower of Babel. At Babel, mankind built a tower to the heavens to elevate themselves, an expression of opposition to God and of self-idolatry. And the consequence of this destructive self-idolatry, the Bible tells us, is that people were scattered all across the earth, speaking different languages, living in different places, unable to relate, disunited. That's what happens when we break away from the glorious triune God. As opposed to unity, there's discord. Now, what you'd have noticed in the passage that we read in Ephesians is that it's all about Gentiles and how they have been distinct from Israel. See, at the time this letter was written, Jews and Gentiles were people completely different and completely separated from one another. Jews were the people of God. The ones chosen to be distinct from the other peoples on the earth precisely so that they could show what God is like to the scattered people of the earth. They are the genetic descendants of Abraham. They're called to be God's people. Distinct, but they're to bless the nations. And so in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, God says to Abraham that in your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But this wasn't going to be through an expanding empire, but through the promise of a savior for all the nations. And we'll come back to that. So when Paul is writing, Jews and Gentiles had very little to do with each other. Jews were Hebrews. Gentiles were, well, people like you and me, Greeks, pagans, Romans, secular people, not Jews. And the two groups don't mix. They dress differently. They talk differently. They eat different food. They observe different customs and different celebrations. They have different hairstyles. They live close to each other, same cities, but you know, they don't expect any great future together. The Jews knew themselves to be the superior race to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles knew the Jews to be the oddball race, <coughs> different, disunity and diversity, us and them. And this enduring problem of us and them is still very prevalent in our culture today. In, in general, humanity prefers to be with people who are just like them. People prefer to be with those just like us, people who look like us, talk like us, dress like us, think like us. And so we have the phrase, my kind of person. And history bears witness to how easily people consider those different to be inferior to them. Bears witness to the terrible abuse of people based on the color of their skin or their gender or their mental health. 
or their education. But more subtle forms of prejudice are so pervasive and sometimes I see it in myself and my skin crawls because it just eats its way in. Very subtle, found in the jokes that you tell. The assumptions you make about people driving who are of a different ethnicity to you, who you might have an encounter with in the road, or perhaps expectations you have of someone who dresses in a particular way or talks in a particular way. You see it in the labels you give people. Women drivers, macho man, camp man, black gangs, white skinheads, Asian man with long beards, youth with hooded jumpers, student with purple hair, businessman with smart suit, asylum seeker with no English. At a glance, in a moment, so many assumptions, so many prejudgments, so many false ideas, so much superiority complex going on. Even in the city of Birmingham, you can find in... One sense, it's a very multicultural city, but in the other sense, there's a predominantly Asian part of the city, a predominantly white middle class, a predominantly poorer part, a predominantly Afro-Caribbean. On the bus on the way home, um, the other day I went through um, par- through Selyokin past a a restaurant, and it was a a, a noodle bar, and ev- literally everyone in there was from Southeast Asian origin. It just struck me. I thought, what, what is, it? is there a sense of safety? I like noodles too. But it, it, for, for whatever reason, there, there just wasn't, there was just homogenization. Our media reinforces this culture of us and them. The idea that difference is dangerous and something to be afraid of. That we should separate ourselves and segregate. Acts of terror perpetuate this idea that someone different may be dangerous. And so in recent weeks and months, we've seen some horrific things on our televisions, and we see them all the time. And the temptation can be to keep ourselves to ourselves, close the doors, protect your own. But this just feeds the agenda of terrorism, which is an anti-diversity agenda, opposed to difference, peddling conformity, be like us or die. Let's just take a brief look at some of the prominent people in the media at the moment, some voices you'll be hearing a lot of, or some, and some news headlines. So the first one, Donald Trump. Um, so this is the leading Republican candidate at the moment for the presidential election later on this year. Um, chap who might be given them one of the most powerful jobs in the world. And, but also famous for making very disparaging remarks towards women, some of the journalists that have been interviewing him famous for saying that any Syrian refugees who have found safety in the US should be flown straight back to Syria if he had his way. Famous for saying, shut the doors and don't let any Muslims in the country. Famous for um, brandishing all Mexican migrants as criminals. That's Donald Trump. But closer to home, um, how about Katie Hopkins? Um, Gets rather a lot of airtime. Um, in the middle of the week on morning chat shows and is a columnist for Daily Mail, sells herself as someone who um, says it as it is, or rather says it as it isn't most of the time. Famous for, um, for example, fat shaming, um, claiming that people who are over a particular weight should have to pay more for particular services. Serves them right for being such 
big people. Famous for saying that as a parent, you shouldn't let your kids make friends with certain children who have particular names, such as Chardonnay, or named after a particular geographical location, because that tells you a lot about the family, and you don't want to mix with that type of family. Us and them. Famous for calling immigrants cockroaches. Horrific. Let's have a look at a couple of headlines, shall we? Um, Dangerous ISIS terrorists seized in migrant camp, as if behind every immigrant is a potential terrorist. How about next one? Again, Daily Express. Rape fugees not welcome. Casting this idea that refugees are potentially dangerous people. And yet also in the news, two days ago, another 43 migrants die off the coast of Greece desperately trying to escape the war-torn country of Syria. Awful. Us and them. How about the next one? Oh yeah, interfering EU wants to force men to do more housework. And Labour agrees. This idea, that's not the man's job. Not bashing, right, not, not wanting to single out Daily Express in particular. Um, <laughs> make of that what you will. Um, next, the, the Oscars have been in the news a lot, haven't they, this week? Um, the idea that there is a subtle form of racism because no one of an ethnic minority has been um, put forward as a candidate for one of the leading prizes. This is the world we live in at present. And the political problems are profound and complex, and I'm not wishing to make overly political statements. Um, The migration problem is really difficult at the moment in terms of how can we look after these people as well as possible. But we can't just turn our back on it as if it's not our problem. As if because they look different, speak different, born somewhere else, therefore not so like us. This is the us and them culture. Not so different to that which was prevalent in the time that Paul was writing. But here the gospel shines beautiful, powerful, distinctive, like a rainbow, like a harmony. And this is what we're going to look at now, the cure. See, Paul talked in verse 3 of the mystery that was made known to me by revelation. And in verse 4, the mystery of Christ. And in verse 9, he talks about being called to bring to light the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. What is this mystery? What is the age-old plan hidden in God? Verse 6 tells us the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The mystery is this, that through Jesus, the promise to Abraham in Genesis 22 has been fulfilled. It is through Jesus that all the nations of the world will be blessed. The mystery is that Christ is the door opened for all peoples to come in together. To be welcomed into the family of God together, to inherit the unimaginable riches of God Together. Jesus says in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way to God, but through him all may come. All distinctions between people fall away. Race, gender, culture, fashion, language. Access to God is no longer the privilege of certain people based on birthright or ritual or law. Rather, it is the privilege of all people who will come through Jesus. 
depends quite on faith in him. Because in Jesus, the ultimate distinction was crossed. The separation between God and man. Jesus is God. He is the fullness of deity in bodily form, Colossians 2.9. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. He is God and Saviour, Titus 2.13. And in the person of Jesus, man perfectly bore the image of God again. The Bible calls him the second Adam, the perfect man. Jesus, the Jew, part of the people of God, was perfect man and mighty God, the God-man who came to bring peace between man and God and who came to bring peace between people groups of all kinds. He came to destroy us and them thinking, smashing every division that exists. This is a great book by a guy called David Murray called The Happy Christian. And one chapter is on the work of the gospel in bringing unity and diversity. And I'm just going to read you a bit where he calls Jesus the barrier breaker and the bridge builder. Murray says this, Jesus smashed national barriers by sending the gospel to the nations to unite the nations. He smashed racial barriers by making a Samaritan woman one of his first converts and a Samaritan man one of his best examples of love. He smashed gender barriers by making women some of his closest friends and by defending them from abusive men. He smashed age barriers by welcoming children into his arms of blessing and by condemning any who hindered or harmed his little ones. He smashed social barriers by eating and drinking with the worst of sinners. He smashed ceremonial barriers by touching lepers, healing them and then sending them into the temple. He smashed class barriers by rejecting the rigid caste system of his day, embracing rich and poor, educated and uneducated among his disciples. But above all, He smashed the barrier between God and sinners. The massive barrier that sinners had built out of their sins to keep God out of their lives. Jesus died for these sins and dismantled that wall brick by brick as he shed his blood to bring us to God. What a barrier breaker. What a bridge builder. What good news. Jesus smashes barriers. He builds healing bridges between people no matter how different they are. No more us and them. Because before God, we're all the same. Sinners in need of a saviour. People bearing God's image, but broken in need of healing. And Jesus came, the son of God, to live the life we could not live. To die the death we could not endure. To rise in order to share with us the life we could barely imagine. Making us children of God. And getting rid of all this hostility between peoples. At the cross... What Martin Luther called the great exchange happened. All our ugly sin placed on him, all his beautiful righteousness given to us. All of our death placed on him, all of his life given to us. All of our hatred placed on him, all of his love given to us. All of our hurt placed on him, all of his healing given to us. Restoring us the image of God. This was always God's plan. This is the mystery hidden in God, that barriers would be broken, that all might come through Jesus, the Son of God. Isaiah, who lived 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, saw this and prophesied about it. Listen to what he says would happen to Jesus as he suffers on the cross. Isaiah fifty-two fourteen. 
It says, there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured, Jesus on the cross, beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. And then in chapter 53, 4, Isaiah says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Can you see what's happened? In allowing himself to be broken, Jesus makes us whole. Through his sacrifice, the nations are sprinkled atoned for, reconciled. And he lives, risen king of the universe. And Revelation, the final book of the Bible says, he's going to gather to himself people from every tribe and every tongue. What a harmony. Can you imagine the noise? What a picture. Every type of external difference you can imagine gathered together. No more refugees, no more borders, no more hostility united in Christ. What a mystery. What good news. Little wonder that the angels, when they announced Jesus' birth, said, this is good news for all people. Little wonder that the night sky was filled up and they said, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to man on whom his favor rests. Jesus is the unifier. It's like a superhero. The only distinction now is, are you in Christ? Have you centered your life on him? He invites you to, no matter what your background, no matter how you might feel or look or what's gone on before, he invites you to. The cure is in Christ. Thirdly, what's the result then of this gospel? Well, the result of the gospel is the church. The the result of the gospel is that the people of God are as diverse as the number of cultures there are on the earth. Every tribe, every tongue. The church is to be a place where difference is celebrated, not feared. In Ephesians 3.10, Paul calls the church the manifold wisdom of God, which literally means the multicolored wisdom of God. He says the church reveals God's eternal purpose, that through Jesus, we can all approach God in freedom and in confidence. So the church should be the most diverse gathering of people around. Should be able to look around today and say, I'm a lot different to you, aren't I? which point you will think, yes, Mike, thank goodness I'm a lot different to you. <laughs> you speak differently to me. You dress differently to me. You can do your hair differently to me. Dance differently. It's great, isn't it? We're totally different, but totally united. We're one. We're a family. And so we get to celebrate. We're loved by God. And also we love each other. I'm interested in you. Not us and them. The more different we are, the more beautiful an expression it is of the power and the wisdom of God in breaking every divide. It's like an extra layer to this harmony, which makes sense of the melody of the glory of God made known through Christ in his church. We need to be more diverse. It's great to look around this room and think, actually, we are pretty diverse. But I tell you what, we need to become even more diverse. We need, for example people with purple hair so that other people with purple hair will feel like I can belong here. We need people who like to wear a suit on a Sunday so that other suits feel like, yeah, this is a good place for me. 
many people who wear headscarves, so other people wearing headscarves feel like, I can fit in. You need to have people who wear makeup, people who never wear makeup. Young people, old people, people with no qualifications, professors. We need to have people with no job, people with high-powered jobs, people with no English, people with the Queen's English, people who have been labelled camp, people who have been labelled macho, people who like football, people who like rugby. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome. This is a place for all people. No labels, just enjoying our diversity. No labels, just enjoying our unity in Christ. This is a powerful witness to the world. How can so many different people come together because of Jesus? It's the witness. And wherever the church has understood this unifying power of the gospel properly, it has impacted communities. Rodney Stark is a secular sociologist and historian who has written a book called The Rise of Christianity. And in it, he examines from a sociological point of view how the Christian faith against all the odds, spread through the Greco-Roman world. And some of the reasons he highlights is the unusual racial integration within the church, which gathered people in and attracted people, and also the unusually elevated way in which Christianity treated women, affording them a much higher status than was commonplace in the Greco-Roman world. But he also highlights the power of the response of the Christian community to various crises. So in 165 AD... In 251 AD, there was a mass epidemic that spread across the Greco-Roman world. They think it was probably smallpox um, the first time around and measles the second time around. And historians estimate that somewhere between a quarter and a third of the whole Roman Empire were wiped out by these plagues. Catastrophic loss of life, which caused great fear. And Stark explains that the intensity of the fear was such that people became ruthless and... If there was anyone who was infected in their household, they'd be thrown out into the streets, left to die. No one comforting, no one attending, so fearful of this plague. But Dionysius writes that the Christian response was different to that. Let me read a bit out to you. It says, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking, only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbours and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. Christ-like. They had received freely the welcome and the love and the kindness of God and so were able to give freely welcome, love, kindness to those very different to themselves. In fact, Stark goes on to say that the emperor at the time, Julian, was so frustrated by how the Christians were distinctive and the Christian community was growing that he wrote a letter to the pagan priests lamenting the fact that Christians were looking after their fellow pagans rather than the pagan priests. Irrespective of religion, culture, background, Christians were reaching out fearlessly. What a witness. What a harmony. Like a rainbow in the sky. Unity and diversity is powerful. So what does it mean for us in Oasis practically as we finish? 
What does it mean to be crafted, multicolored? It means, number one, we see those different to us with eyes of love and compassion, not suspicion. We don't do us and them. We don't do my type of people. They're all God's people. So we embrace people. It means that we, number two, get to be comfortable in our own skin. It's not like you have to dress a certain way or speak a certain way, use certain words, like certain music to belong in this community. No, no, no. The more different we are, the more glory it brings to God. I'm not talking about moral laxity. We take holiness seriously because we love Jesus and want to be devoted to him. I'm talking about there's not a conformity of externals that we need to live by. We get to enjoy being different. It brings glory to God. And thirdly, we get to, like Stark gives us an account of in the, the ancient early church, we get to respond to the needs of those around us fearlessly with love and compassion. And the crisis at the moment of people who have been displaced from their homes with nowhere to go is huge. Jesus tells a parable, doesn't he, of the sheep and the goats. He says to the sheep, you saw me hungry and you fed me. You saw me naked and you gave me something to drink. Whatever you did to the least of these, you did unto me. And we as a church want to respond well to those in need. And one way in which we're doing that is um, some people within the church are looking to step into the gap for those who have got nowhere to go at the moment. And I want to invite Gaz and Beth up to share with us something they're doing and therefore we're partnering in as um, Oasis. So, hello friends. Um, I'm going to pass it to Gareth. Gareth, can you tell us a little bit about what it is you're doing? Um, stand together, he doesn't bite much. Um, what it is you're doing, why you're doing it, and um, how you came to know about it. Uh, so we have put in an application form with an organisation to... Uh, offer a room or offer our house to have uh, some failed asylum seekers come and live with us. Great. And so it's... Uh, we found out about it because, well, because it's all over the news and also because um, like the Guardian newspaper had been writing loads and loads and loads of stuff about it and then they'd had a lot of people get in touch with them say, how can we do stuff? Um, Bet had heard about this thing, which was like... In Germany, it was like Airbnb but for housing um, refugees. Mm. Uh, there isn't anything like that in Britain yet, but then we'd found out about this organisation that's based in Mosley called Birch, and so that's how we've put the application Great. form in. So why, why are you doing it? Uh, because uh, part of it is because it scared the absolute life out of me if this was the other way around and I'd want someone to take me in. Mm. Um, and I think it's just... Uh, I, th- I think it's like what you just said then, like with um, the parable of uh, the sheep and the goats. And uh, it, it doesn't stop it being like, it's still nervous, do you know what I mean? It's still like, uh, it's still opening your house to someone that you don't know. And mm. But I think it's uh, a good thing to do. And uh, I would want to say, like, for, or we would want to say, that uh, we did the best that we could, mm. um, given what we have yeah. got. Yeah, great. Sorry. Thank you so much, guys. Brilliant. Let's give him a clap. 
said earlier, I, I would love to live with Gareth and Beth for a couple of months. So I think it's, it, it's a good home for anyone who hasn't got home to be able to be welcomed into. And um, it's exciting. It's exciting to be able to do that. Um, why don't we stand? I'm going to pray and we're going to close. God's spoken to us a lot this morning, straight this afternoon. And um, it's not just for a moment in time, but it's for him to keep working within us. I just want to encourage us to be open to him, centered on him, having more of his heart. Let me just pray. Lord, I want to thank you that we couldn't have been more different to you. And yet you came for us. You came to share all your blessedness with us, Lord. And to take all our pain upon yourself. So that in you we might be made whole. Thank you, Jesus. You're the beautiful one. And you have welcomed us home. To be children of God. Though we are, not many of us here, of Jewish descent but we've been welcomed in. Lord, we love you. I want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for your goodness. We recognize, Lord, we've got no power to do anything for anyone until we first receive of all the grace of God and the goodness of God. I pray would you come, remind us of who you are and of what it means to be yours and show us more and more of the beauty of the cross, of your resurrection, of a life centered on you. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you even now put the finger on those areas in our lives where we just see people different to us as inferior to us. We want to repent of it, Lord. We want to publicly say we're sorry, we're guilty. Lord, we want to be different. We want to be a people that display the manifold, multicolored wisdom of God by celebrating difference and celebrating diversity and enjoying unity and recognizing that people who on the outside may seem very different to us are actually called to be our brother, our sister, part of the same family. Pray God you cause us to be a church that responds well to moments of crisis so that we may be a, like a city on a hill, like a light on a stand, not hidden but revealing truth of God. Jesus, we love you, worship you. Pray you bless us as we all go now in Jesus' name. Amen.